word translated for pastor is poimen. Everyone say poimen. And, and that describes the method of, of, of somebody who feeds the flock. Somebody who feeds the flock. So the following words are directed at elders also applies to all, all of us, okay? Everybody in here, if you're leading your family, dads, moms, if you're leading your household, you, you're leading some, somebody, these all uh, work for you. So look at this. It says this. The next part of this says, as a fellow elder. I, this is interesting to me. Notice Peter doesn't say, as the first pope. He didn't say that, right? There's a denomination that, that believes that Peter was the first pope. You could probably figure that out just by what I just said right there. And, and, and they, they, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't call himself any better than anybody else. Matter of fact, he says, I am an elder just like you. I am a fellow elder. I am, I am just like you. And he's saying, hey, I, I'm, I am with you guys on this. Look at this. The next portion says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Um, here he is. He's saying this. Hey, I'm, I'm just one of you guys. How many would say that, would, could say, hey, I believe that Peter was a giant of the faith? I would. I mean, you got to put him up there. He's, he's one of only a few who, who did some amazing things. He, step, he was the only other person that I know of in history that walked on water. It was short, but he did, right? He's the only one that stepped out. He did some, he did some great things. He was the, the leading speaker on the day of Pentecost. God would use him in an amazing way. And so, um, but he's just saying this, I'm just one of you. And, and the difference between those in the early church and, and, and now and, and Peter is that Peter just had a little bit more one-on-one -on -one history with Jesus personally that we don't have today. And maybe even those in the early church, he, he followed Jesus for three and a half years. I think that's, that's amazing. Matter of fact, he saw the Lord's suffering and he saw the Lord's glory. How many remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? You remember that? He saw, he was one of the, the three that happened to be up there with Jesus. So he got to see Jesus transfigured. And so he saw something amazing. Uh, verse 2 says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So uh, shepherd the flock. The King James Version says to feed the flock. Feed the flock. So what are pastors to do when, when tough times come? Feed the flock. That's it. That's what we're supposed to do. When, when I, you know, I don't always feel like getting up here. You know what I do? I get up here and I look at this word and I just begin to just cast this word the best that I know how at that moment and say, Holy Spirit, be with me and help me do this. Feed the sheep. So um, notice that it's, it's not all kinds of activities or, or creative fellowships or or uh, recreation, Christian recreation. It isn't about all these things. It's about feed, feed my sheep, right? Feed my sheep. Now, there's nothing wrong with some of those things. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those. But the key is this. If you're going to see a flock grow, you have to feed them. If you have a lamb or if you have lambs or you had chickens and you stop feeding them, they die, Right? But here's the thing, you have to keep feeding the flock. So, uh, you know, the, the Bible says this, that, uh, you know, the word of God is our what? It's our daily bread. Sometimes, spiritually speaking, we suffer because we don't get a dose of our daily bread. 
this thing that, that when we begin to read it, it begins to read us. And it begins to show us, hey, you know, you, you maybe need to change your attitude or maybe, maybe you're seeing this through the wrong lens. How many love the word of God? Matter of fact, the word of God says this, I have hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against God. You want, if you're struggling with sin, put this down in your heart. How do you do that? You got to open it. You got to read it. You got you to you open it and digest it every day. Lord, and say, well, I, I struggle with that. I, I can't read all this. Well, just do a, a chapter a day. That's, I mean, something small. And I promise you if, you, if you begin this habit, it will grow on you and it will grow in you. Amen. So we also, uh, you know, when we begin to read the Bible, we also begin to understand the character of God. You know how I know that Jesus' voice? Because I know his character. If I really want to know who Jesus is, I got to know uh, what, what this word says about him. And what this, these, these people wrote about him. And this is how I know the character. Uh, uh, matter of fact, scripture says this. My sheep know my voice. And to be his sheep, that means I got to be eating what he's putting out. So I begin to do that. So my job as a pastor is to feed you with the word of God every chance I get. That's my job. That's what, that's what I'm supposed to do uh, is to just feed you, exhort you, and, and to give you uh, your daily, whatever that may look like, your daily dose or your, your midweek dose, your Sunday dose of, of the word of God. So look at this, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So this is basically talking about the ministry here, uh, just to give you a little bit of a heads up. And this is really good pastoral leadership right here. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So um, Peter was one with people. He, uh, he, was a, he was responsible to oversee them, right? We know him as, as one of the, the first people. But see, there's this tension. There's this tension that happens in being a pastor and being a youth pastor and being a leader. And I've learned this over the years. And, and sometimes it's really hard and extremely hard to navigate. How many like good tension in your life? You know why you like watching murder mystery movies? Because there's tension, right? Who did it? Whatever the case, there's tension. But here's the thing. Here's the key here. If I'm simply overseeing but I'm not among the people, guess what? I'm untouchable. If I'm just a leader up here and I don't ever, I don't ever get among the people, that means that I'm untouchable and that I'm not relatable, right? So there's, there's that side of it. But then let's, let's, let's flip this a little bit. But, um, uh, you know, a, a good shepherd, I, I love this. This pastor, Tristan's pastor, when she was a child this week, we found out, went to be with the Lord uh, yesterday, actually. 87 years old, was in the ministry forever, and was one of the most dynamic um, pastors I've ever seen. If you heard him speak, you would be like, well, he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty good speaker, but he was a dynamic pastor. And one of the things that I took from this, this guy, his name was Pastor Dunahoo, was this, is a good shepherd smells like sheep. Right? A good shepherd smells like sheep. They're going to be amongst the sheep. They're going to be where the sheep are. One thing that I loved about this pastor was this. He had a memory like none other in the world. I, I kid you not. I, I could see this guy periodically about every two or three years or whatever the case. And this guy was so sharp. Even in his older age, he would remember the very conversation we had two years prior. It was insane. 
I mean, and, and you know, and he would be like, hey, uh, you know, did you ever get that, you know, your hot water hit, heater fixed at your house? Be like, what are you talking about? Well, last time we talked, you, you, how did you remember that? But he was somebody who would be amongst the people, and I don't know about you, you know, there's this, there's this tension sometimes where, you know, some pastors, they want to be high and aloft and away from people. And, and, and listen, that's, I, you know, I know there's times where you got to get away. Even Jesus got away from everybody every once in a while. But, but here's the thing. A good shepherd is going to smell like sheep. So, but here's the other side of that. On the other hand, if I hang out with people and I'm just one of the gang, and if I um, don't have any authority and I'm just one of your, your friends and you don't take me serious, you know, then, then there's some issues there that, that can happen. See, I, I remember when I first started working at, at um, a trucking company, God advanced me. It was nothing on my own. God advanced me. And here I am. I'm young, and I'm, I'm being put in charge of men who have been driving longer than I've been alive. And that doesn't even make, that doesn't even make sense to me. But here's what I found out is I, as a leader, had to put some boundaries up sometimes with people because I need to lead. And here's what happens. If they think that I'm just their friend, sometimes when I have to call them out on something, then there's some bad tension. It's like, well, you're just this person or you're just that. So, so there's this tension of leadership. But tension, uh, you know, here's the thing about tension. It keeps things straight and it keeps things in line. And so there's, there's a little bit of that. That's a little pastoral, and maybe that's above your head, and maybe you're like, so what, Pastor? That's good for you. I'll take that one right there. So, so what's the solution to this tension? The next verse says it. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So um, uh, here's the deal. This is, this, is, this is kind of geared toward pastors, but here's, this is for parents, so this is for anybody in leadership. Um, you should not have to be prodded to be a leader or to be a pastor or to be a parent. I know everyone has a bad day every once in a while. Some of you parents are like, I wish I didn't have to be a parent. I get it. You know, send the kids to the, to the grandpa and grandmas for a day and then get yourself back together and then come back out. But, but, but here's the thing. In other words, your motivation shouldn't come from someone who is constantly saying, hey, you can do this. You could do this, right? We all need encouragement, right? I'm not saying you can't have a bad day. I'm not saying you, 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 you can't be encouraged by someone. But what I'm saying is what drives you is the call of God that God has on your life. Well, I'm just a parent. You're called to be a parent. God has given you that child. Be the best parent that you can be. You're leading a ministry. Don't, I mean, I mean, honestly, just lead that ministry. Be the best leader that you can be. You know, it's like me. Hey, I'm going to do my best to be the best pastor that I can be. And some of you say, you need to try a little bit harder, pastor. Well, I'm working on it every day. Pray for me, right? And so here's the thing, and this is what he's saying. Um, there are two inherent dangers in the ministry. And you can write these down. These are good. Uh, I like this. Number one, laziness. Laziness, and here's the second one. You ready for this? And jealousy. Laziness and jealousy or covetousness. Covetousness. So laziness is when people do the very least that they can. Right? How many of you have kids? How many of your kids do the very least that they have to do without getting in trouble? Right? Here's the thing. There's no room for laziness in the ministry because 
here's the thing. When you're over a, a ministry or you're a pastor and you're lazy, it affects the flock. And if you're called by God, that ought to bother you if the flock is not, is not flourishing, if it's not doing what it's, that, that, ought to, that ought to set in your heart. And, and so it depends on, on, on your position. And so, so look at this. So here's the next one, jealous or, or covetousness. And so, um, and I've seen this in pastors, and I've seen this in leaders within the church, and I've seen them get up, upset when someone else gets to do what they want to do. Why do they get to lead that ministry? Why not me? And, 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 you know, I could do that so much better. You ever heard that? You ever said that? Come on now. Right? <laughs> There's been moments where you think, oh, I, I could do that better. I could do these. But, but how do you know you, you are uh, in this camp? Well, you say things like, I would have done it this way or I would do it that way. I don't know why pastor and them decide to do things that way. Come on now. So jealous, and, 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 and it stems from jealousy. You know where it stems from? Pride. And let me tell you something about pride. Right in the middle of pride is I. And let me tell you something else. What else is I in the middle of? Sin. The original sin was pride. Why was it pride? Because Satan fell from heaven. Pride in his heart. And see, uh, jealousy can uh, can lead us to pride, and so um, when when I submit, when I submit, there's times when I submit, and I've had to do this. I, listen, I've you, if you knew my journey, some of you don't know my journey like I know my journey. My wife knows my journey. There's been times in ministry where I had to bite my lip and just submit, and 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 may not know all the details, but then just bite my lip. But let me tell you something. Every time I've ever done that. God has protected me, God has kept me, and God has blessed me. I'm not saying you have to submit, you know, if, if somebody's sinning. If somebody's sinning, that's a whole different, whole different thing. But uh, when, I, when I submit to leadership, there is this covering that takes place over me. And there's a protection of me. When I, when I act in rebellion, when I, when I do things outside of that covering of, of, of leadership, you know what, that's rebellion. When I want it my way, I had to have it my way, right? Remember 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, and I, the NLT says it like this, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. How many would say witchcraft is bad? This is what the Lord thinks about rebellion. And, and stubbornness, in the next portion in, this, in the NLT says, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. How many thinks that worshiping idols is bad? Oh, maybe some of your own stubbornness. It, it may be putting you in a bad place. So, and, and it says this, so because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So the Lord is talking to, uh, using Samuel to talk to, to uh, King Saul here. And so the Lord rejected Remember, God called Saul. Remember, he didn't want to be king at first. He, he was totally cool, just hanging out, and, and he was not all about it. But God called him, and then when he got to this place and he decided to do some things in his own way, rebel, uh, you know, and, and to be stubborn in his own way, um, he came out from the covering of God, and God rejected him as king. I don't know about you, but that, that's terrifying to me. I don't want to be rejected by the Lord. 
So it, here's the thing, and unfortunately, I've, I've dealt with both of these areas in my life. There's been times where I've, I, I've, been, I've been very jealous, and there's been times where I've been lazy. Amen? You don't have to amen that too hard on the lazy side, all right? Look at this. Verse 3 says this, not domineering over those you, in, in your charge. So as a pastor, I might, uh, I, I'm not the Reverend Wright Most Holy Bishop, okay? You don't have to call me. That's not my title. I don't want to be called that. You know, I'm just one of the sheep. That's really, that's really, I am one of the sheep because I'm following the good shepherd too. Why am I up here? Well, let me give you an example. Here's, if this church was a hospital, and, and which it is spiritually, I'm the person uh, who, who, has, who has been around, has experienced God's grace and goodness, and he's placed me in this place, and he's called me to this church. Well, being here and, 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 and you know, understanding his grace for a long time, this is what I know. I know where the cafeteria is in this church. You say, well, I know where that's at too. Well, I'm not talking physically. I'm just talking about in a spiritual sense. I know where if you go to this doctor, you're going to get a, a shot where the doctors with the long needles are. How many of you guys hate needles? And I could, you know, it's like the person that you meet right when you come into the hospital, right? You're like, you go to a big hospital, you're like, where do I go? And they're like, you need to go down to this elevator, this, this, go up. Anybody ever been to a big a big hospital in like downtown in Indianapolis or any? Man, sometimes it's super confusing, right? But But my job here is to help point people, hey, this is where you can get help. This is where you could find this. Here is what the Bible says about this situation. So here, Peter, Peter, he's echoing something that he learned from the Lord. All Christian leaders need to perform the role of servants, not masters. You know where he learned that? Jesus. Jesus 101 right there. Ah, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. The king of kings... God who created the universe came to serve. So he's my example. He's your example. So we should follow suit. So, uh, and, and so we, we have to know that. So um, let me ask you this. You know, this is for my moms and dads in here. Mom and dad, when was the last time you served your kids? I'm not talking about dinner. But when's the last time you just did something for them without any reason, without wanting to get them to do something without any, just, I'm just going to serve you because I just love you. You know, I thought about that, and I was like, man, do I serve my kids just because I want to get something out of them? I think sometimes maybe I do. But here's the, here's the next portion of this scripture. Look at this. Leaning into that, that question is, but be examples to the flock. So here's the solution to verse 2 that we, we talked about. In parenting and pastoring and leading or working with people, the bottom line is this, be an example. That's it, plain and simple, be an example. That's how you can be amongst the people and still lead. That's how you can, you can do that, whether it's raising kids or serving, serving here at the church. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, to be the Lord or master, but... An example. Everyone say example. You know, there's a, there's a big difference between a dictatorship and leadership, right? A dictator, a, a dictator says, hey, go, right? No questions asked, go or face the consequences. But a leader says, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go together. Let's do this together. 
So whether it's parenting or pastoring, a good leader is involved in whatever they are teaching or helping others do. They are an example. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, hey, let's be good examples. All right, look at this. 1 Timothy 4.12, it says this. Um, and this is, this is Paul talking to a young Timothy who is a pastor, a very young pastor, but he says this. And, he, and he, at the beginning of this verse, he talks about don't let no anyone despise you because you're young. But he says this, but be an example to the believers, okay? This is your job. This is my job to be an example to believers in word, how I talk, the things that come out of my mouth, whether they're, they, if they're unwholesome, they ought not be coming out of my mouth, amen? In conduct, the way I act, come on, somebody. In love, how I love people, in spirit, in faith. And this last one, boy, this is this was the, the dagger for me, in purity. Living above the reproach of sin. So Paul, he reiterates this very same thing here. And, and so I, I, I want to just, for all you kids or all you parents here, mom and dad, let your kids see it in you first. You want your kids to be a specific way? Be the example. You want your kids to be polite? You be polite. You want your kids to be givers? You be a giver. You want your kids to come to church? You be here at church. Come on, somebody. Now that now that's that's good. That's really good right there. Be the example. Everyone say, be the example. All right. So if everyone, here's a good question. This is a good rhetorical question. This man, and and, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm throwing bombs tonight, but this is the way it is. But if everyone was like you here at this church, what kind of church would it be? Interesting, huh? You know, I'll let you guys chew on that one for a minute. If they prayed as much as you did, if they gave in the offerings as much as you did, if they served as much as you did, would things get done around here? If people attended as faithfully as you, would we have people show up? Man, I've been going to think about those things, and I'm not trying to chastise anybody. I'm not trying to, to sling it. I'm trying to make you think. How many want to grow in the Lord? How many want to see the kingdom of God grow? You know how that does? It, it starts with you. The kingdom of God starts with you getting yourself right. Stop looking at everyone else and get you right, and, and, and everything else will fall into place, right? So uh, it, it, it's an important question. These are important questions, um, and, and, and you got to look at these things. So look at this, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, everyone say, that's Jesus. You'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, he's the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd here. Guess what? I answer to him, and, and, man, he corrects me. You say, hey, pastor, you ever get corrected? Oh, man, if you knew how the Lord corrected me at times. <laughs> and I'm glad he corrects you too, Bev. Here's the thing. He corrects, and he does it in love. He does it right. But sometimes my motives aren't always right, and your motives aren't always right. And the things that you say aren't always right. But if you are an example, if you are, you know, he's saying this, uh, you know, if you are an example, if you're feeding people and caring for them, there's a day coming when all those things that no one took notice will be greatly rewarded. You know, it, Peter says it like this. The crowns that, that Peter is talking about here, 
aren't to be worn and paraded. Look what I did. Look what I did on this earth. You know what happens when we, when we get up there to the throne room of heaven? We take those crowns and we begin to throw those crowns at Jesus' feet because he is so awesome. And these little works that I did here that, you know, and, and man, there's things that we're going to find out on, and when, we, when we get to heaven and we see the Lord that, that, that no one knew things that you did. Things that you think are overlooked, guess what? God's going to be like, hey, you get a crown for that. You get, you get this. So uh, my mom always said it like this, God is a good record keeper. And maybe people aren't seeing things like you think they ought to be seeing things, but I promise you the Lord is. So uh, if you are one who is parenting or serving and, and you've tried uh, and you're tired of where you are now, uh, you know, one day you're going to be there with the chief shepherd and you're going to be so overwhelmed by him. And the little things that, that, that you thought were really important, you're just going to say, hey, this, this wasn't as important as being with you, Lord. So when he comes, my efforts will be known to him, and I'll be fulfilled in ways I, uh, I wasn't here on earth. Verse 5 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. So Peter reminds us that we are to be, that we're called to humility. I don't like that. You know why? Because I like me, and you like yourself too, whether you realize it or not. You may say, well, I'm the most humble person I know. Well, right there's your, there's your sign right there, right? If you're saying things like that, humility means that even if the person over me, be it a mom or a dad or a spiritual brother, overseer ministry, makes a wrong decision, and that means, uh, you know, humility means that if that person makes a wrong decision, that I have to continue to be the right person. Has anyone in leadership ever made a mistake over you? You know, a mistake, and you thought, man, that's terrible. That, but it's real easy, real easy for all of us to fall into this, well, I can point out all of your flaws, right, in the process when someone makes a mistake. But through that process, man, I've seen it time and time again. And, and this, this resonated to me. I've got to be the right person. When those above me fail and they make mistakes, that applies to those in marriage, those in ministry, jobs, anywhere people are. And our job is to make sure that those in authority over us, our, our job is not, is not to make sure that those in authority over us make the right decision. Why do you say that? Well, God put them there, Right? Do I agree with everything the president says and does? God allowed him to be there. I don't know why, but he allowed him to be there, right? I don't always understand. I, don't, I didn't understand the last one either. I don't, I don't understand any of them. But here's the thing. My responsibility is to make sure I can't control what he does, but I can control what I do. And, and you may not be able to control your situation, your boss or your husband or this, but you can control what's going on here. And if I'm not careful, I can become jaded. I can become upset when, when things don't go my way. So, and, and you know what? That's, that takes humility and submission, right, and restraint. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to, to get under submission of a leader, even when you're like, man, I just don't understand God's like, hey, just trust me in this. So why, why do we do this? Let's read on. For God opposes the proud, 
but gives, gives what? To uh, the humble, right? Uh, and humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So those who are humbled will be exalted. Those who don't have to make it about themselves will be exalted. Jesus came to this earth, humbled himself, came down from heaven in humility, came in a little manger, was not born, king of kings, lord of lords, no one greater ever will be, came down, humbled himself to this place. So here's what happens, you know, we, um, those who are humble will be exalted. The, the problem is we think, well, I've been humble for five minutes, so I'm ready to be exalted, Lord. And that's not the way it works. It's not immediate. They'll be exalted in due time. You know what due time is? In the Lord's proper time. Here, uh, I've, got, I've got so much good stuff on this that I, I want to go down so many rabbit trails right here. I'm going to do my best not to right here in this place. But um, if I could give any advice to those seeking ministry, listen to me. Listen to me. And I learned this the hard way. You do not have to self-promote yourself. You know why? God exalts you. God will lift you up. God will promote you. I see it all the time. In this world right now, man, all you got to do is turn on YouTube, and this channel's you promoting this, and this person's promoting this, right? All you people with kids are like, man, I, I see it all the time on YouTube. And everyone thinks, oh, I've got to build a platform, right? And God, this is the opposite of that. The Lord says, hey, if you'll humble yourselves, I will lift you up in due time. And here's the thing. It will be in his perfect time and not yours. This is what I love about the Lord. God's promotion is better than uh, better for you than Instagrams, Facebook, or your resume could ever be. Let me tell you why. It's healthy. It's right. And I believe this. God never promotes you unless you're ready to walk it out. I've lived this. I've learned this. See, I'll give you a good example. David is a perfect example of this. He went from shepherd boy, overlooked by his dad. His dad even forgot he had this son. Shepherd in the field. Within about a 30-year span, guess what? He is the king of Israel. How does that happen? That there's, there's humility there. He, God led him through this process, and he prepared him, and he finally got him. And when he became king, yeah, he had some flaws. We all have flaws, but he was prepared to do what he was called to do. And can I tell you something? When God does that preparing in you, listen, there won't be deficiencies in your character. Come on, somebody. You'll be able to handle the things that you need to handle. Matter of fact, you know, right now there's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, we can say celebrity pastors, celebrity people in ministry that are doing things. I, specifically, there is a young man in, in a very, very big worship group right now who was um, taken out of that worship group because he did some things. He posted some things that were really not great and, and in the process was, was pulled to the side and said, hey, you, you, need to, you need to regroup here. You need to fix some things in you. And his statement was this. His statement was this, was that 
man, I, I didn't realize the, the notoriety that I was going to get. I didn't realize, and he said this statement. He goes, my character did not match my calling. And here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes, man, if we're not careful, we, we, we want we want to push the pedal just a little bit fast. And God said, I got to get this out of you before you can get to that place. David, I got to get this out of you before I can make you king. There's some things I need to develop in you. How many know that God's still working on you? Amen. I like that. Verse 7 says this, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love this verse as a pastor. You know why? Because every day I'm like, here you go, God. This is yours. Take this. And and here's the thing. I, I often repeat this. Anybody ever repeat that scripture throughout the day? I do. I do to myself. You know what? I'm just going to cast this on you, Lord. You said to. And matter of fact, the, the Greek word there translated casting, it, it's an inter- interesting one because it means to roll something over onto, onto something. But that means that that thing can roll back on you. It's interesting. Let me tell you why. I say why? Why is that? Why is that interesting? Have you ever prayed and, and cast something uh, on the Lord, upon the Lord at the altar on, on Sunday? And then by Tuesday, you feel like that burden's back. Anybody ever done that? Lord, I'm going to give you this. And then you feel like it kind of rolled back your direction. And here's, here's why I think that this happens. This is perplexing to me. Sometimes we're like, man, is the Lord putting this back on me? No, 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 no. I don't think the Lord's doing that. But I think the Lord allows sometimes those things to come back on us because God is more interested in a relationship with you than he is about your comfort. And so that burden that you're feeling, guess what? If, you know, my tendency is this. If something, if God takes a burden off of me, my tendency is this, to, to be excited, love the Lord, be, get really excited about it. And then before too long, I forget about his presence. I forget about what he's done for me, and I forget about those things. And the Lord says, oh, here, have a little bit of this weight back on you. And then what happens in our life is we feel that burden again. We're like, I, I need you again, Lord. I need you again. Today, I need you again. I know I know. I, I rolled this over on you on Sunday, but today's Wednesday, and I'm feeling heavy, so I need to roll this thing back over to you. How many want to cast your cares upon the Lord? Amen. And so God is, he is, he is after you. He is after you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants communion with you. He wants you to pray to him every day. So cast your cares upon him and keep doing it over and over and over again, knowing this, that he deeply cares for you. So cast them, cast them things on the Lord over and over. Look at this. Verse 8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Um, even though we can, we can cast our cares upon the Lord, you, you, we have to remember this. The enemy is still trying to destroy us. The enemy wants to discourage you. The enemy wants to cause division. The enemy wants to to make you want to throw in the towel, makes you want to quit. You know the enemy is out to get you. He wants to stop you. And I'll I'll add this, this little nugget right here. The enemy usually works in one of two ways, pride or no self-worth. Feel exhausted. The enemy will make you look like you're like, man, I did this, I did this, this, me, 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 right? I, I, I already talked about pride. And then, or he'll bring you so low 
and you feel like, woe is me, and you're giving Eeyore around for all his money, right? Praise the Lord. You're down in, down in your spirit. Look at this. Verse 10 says this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore. Everyone say restore. Say confirm. Say strengthen. And establish you. Everyone say establish. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I like this. Peter, he's, he preaches so good right here. He's like, I got to drop an amen right here. Amen. And as, as Peter and maybe maybe you're, you as a parent and, and we can go back over these nine verses and realize how greatly uh, we have fallen short of the Lord. How many have fallen short? All right. But, but look at this. We've fallen short of the standard. So the Christian life is all about grace. And no one knew that better than Peter. Right? You know, we give Peter a hard time. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to avoid this guy like the plague because I, I have spoke bad, ill of him and all kinds of things. But truly, he is a great example for me, me and you today. So look at this. Verse 1, Peter, he declares himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So yet when we read the gospel account, I'm gonna, you can write these down. I'm going I'm to fire these out at you really fast. Uh, yet when we read the gospel account, we see that Peter was not present at the trial of, of Jesus when, at Caiaphas's place. And, and if he viewed Jesus on the cross, it was not up close. It was at a distance. He had distanced himself. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us in John 19 that John was the only disciple that made it to the foot of the cross. And everyone else scattered. So, so here's Peter. He's declaring himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But where was he during the crucifixion? It's interesting to me. Look at this. Peter also says that we are partakers of glory. But he fails to mention that he was reprimanded by God by placing Jesus on the same plane as Moses and Elijah on the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? He said, hey, we, we, we ought to build a church here. We, we, ought, we, ought to, we ought to do something right here because, you know what, Jesus, you're here, and Moses is here, and Elijah's here. But look at this. Continuing on here, verse 2, Peter says, says, pastors are to feed the flock of God. Yet when Peter first heard these words, feed my sheep, he wasn't waiting on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit with, with God's people as, as he was supposed to be. He was out fishing. He was out fishing, John chapter 21. Look at this. Peter also tells pastors not to be lazy. Yet when Jesus asked Peter to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, guess who fell asleep? Interesting, right? Look at this, verse 3. Peter tells us that we are, we are to be uh, the Lord's uh, over God, or not to be the Lord's over God's heritage or not being domineering in those you are in charge of. We are to be an example. What did he do? He took out his sword that day when, when the, the Roman guard was there to take Jesus. And what did he do? He took out his sword and cut off his ear. So he's trying to have dominion over things. Look at this, verse 5. Uh, it's, he says, submit yourself to your elders. When Jesus said he had to suffer many things in Jerusalem, what did Peter do? He rebuked Jesus saying, be it far from thee, Lord. And that's not what submission looks like. Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. And God's like, I, Jesus said, I have to suffer in Jerusalem. And, and so he, he says, that's not what submission looks like. So look at this next one. Peter, when he uh, then says that we have to be clothed in humility. Everyone say humility. 
Yet as he sat in the upper room with the other disciples, it was not Peter, but it was Jesus who humbled himself and washed their feet. Look at this, verse 7. Peter tells us to cast all our cares upon God. And it's really an interesting choice of words. See, Jesus told Peter to cast his nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter was fishing for fish instead of fishing for men, which he had been called to do. Interesting. Look at this, verse 8 through 9 says this. Peter tells us to be sober-minded and vigilant in light of our adversary. Yet, when Jesus warned him that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, what did Peter say? Not me, Lord. I'm ready to go to prison with you. The other guys might fall, but, but you can count on me, right? Th those were his words. And hours later, he was seduced by Satan, denying Jesus three times. Peter felt at every point. But there is, there's some good news. There's some good news here. I know that, that you say, boy, that's super discouraging. Man, that guy, he, he was this, right? But he was used mightily in spite of all his shortcomings. In spite of all those failures, which, which he shares with us in verse, verse 10, Peter teaches us uh, here that it's not perfection or, uh, or impeccability that is necessary, but it is teachability. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be teachable. Let me ask you a question. Are you teachable? Can you handle somebody coming and saying, hey, you need to fix this in your life? Or do you automatically throw up a wall and say, well, you're wrong, right? Are you teachable? Are you teachable? So Peter teaches us that it's not perfection, it's, it's teachability. Maybe you say, I, I failed. And, and, I, and, and honestly, I have failed. And here's the truth, you have failed. Yet, if like Peter can learn lessons from our failures, we can speak with authority on these things. Uh, experience is a great teacher, right? Get in the car wreck. Next time you probably won't do the same thing when you're in the, right? You know, if you, if, you, if you survive that car wreck, right? So experience is a great teacher. Smash your thumb with a hammer, and you'll be a lot more careful with that hammer next time, right? Experience is a great teacher. We can say, uh, I've been there, and, and, and I've done that, and I've made some dumb decisions, and I've made some, some mistakes. But here's the thing. You know, we have to look back and say, hey, God's grace, it's only by God's grace that I'm able to stand here. And that's what Peter's saying. Hey, the only reason I can be here, guys, is because of God's grace. Pastors, elders, leaders, teachers, moms, dads. If, here's the thing. If you are aware of your shortcomings and are not careful, you will think your past will disqualify you from sharing with others. How many have ever said that? I, I can't do that. I can't lead this ministry. I can't, I can't pray for people. I can't do that because of my past, right? It's a lie. See, take some hope from Peter here, some expectation of coming good. Peter failed at a lot of points, but God said, I still got purpose for you. I still got a plan for you. Yet when he learned his lesson, he didn't fall again. Look at this. Final greeting here. Final greeting, subheading, verse 12 says this. By uh, Silvanius, a, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is th uh, the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Plant your feet. Plant your feet in the grace of God. That's what Peter did. I know I'm not perfect, but by God's grace, I'm here. By, by God's grace, I'm here to encourage you. By God's grace, 
I'm here to give you the hope that lives within me. Verse 13, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark and, and, and my son. So Sylvanius, uh, whose Aramaic name you would know better as Silas. Everyone say Silas. His, his, his uh, uh, Aramaic, Aramaic name was Sylvan, Sylvanus. And so, yes, the same Silas that was with Paul in, in, in Acts chapter 15 in prison, who sang the house down that day and prison walls were broken. The same Silas that was with Paul was a friend of Peter as well. So exhorting and declaring the, the, the truth of God's grace. So, um, And so he's saying this, Peter's saying, stand firm in it. Help me out if, you, if you'll come, if you'll come with me. Um, she here is not necessarily a person but indicates the people who compromise, uh, or not compromise, but who comprise of the local church in the city. Um, so it's kind of like saying, hey, uh, go out there and start, start the, you know, the old girl or whatever, your car, you give it a kind of a, so she here, he's actually talking about the church, and he uses Babylon as a reference to Rome, and that would have been the, uh, you know, he kind of says it in those terms. So Mark here is John Mark, who you may remember was one of, uh, was Barnabas' nephew, who um, went on Paul's first missionary journey, got a little homesick, went home. And then when it came time for Paul's secondary uh, missionary journey, Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, no, he can't come because he got homesick and, and he, didn't, he didn't count the cost and he didn't do all that. And so he sent him home. But interesting enough here, Peter calls him son. And that's not a uh, physical son, but that, but that is a spiritual son. And later on in Paul's life, he would look and at the end of his life in 2 Timothy. He says, hey, tell, tell uh, John Mark to come because uh, I ha he's beneficial to me now. And, and it's interesting because John Mark is accredited with, for writing the gospel of Mark. So this guy, basically John Mark, so Peter calls him his spiritual son. And Peter tells him these stories. And John Mark is transcribing them at a very young age. That's why the book of Mark is very easy to understand. It's pretty straightforward and plain spoken. He's very young, and he is writing, writing these things out. And so, But God would use John Mark to write this gospel. Look at this, verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You know, one of my favorite verses when I was growing up, was this verse because I would use this as a pickup line. Hey, the Lord said that we should we should greet each other with a kiss. Just kidding, okay? Don't do that. That's terrible. It's out of context. It's not right. I mean, don't don't even try it. I think I got slapped a few times probably for that. So I'm just kidding. Um. Peter says this to the people who are going through persecution. He ends this letter uh, now with, with a promise of ease, not with a promise of ease, but with a prayer of peace. How many know that life's not easy? How many know that sometimes life is tough? And I said this at the beginning of, of, what, of our talk tonight was this, is that I don't know how people make it through life without the peace of Jesus Christ on them. I, I, I'll never understand that. I I don't know any other way to do it. I'm not that strong within myself. So some of you are going through hard times right now. And I can tell you, this scripture says, cast all your cares on me. 
Let the peace of God lead you. How do I do that? Isaiah 26.3 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed uh, on you because he trusts in you. You know, want to know how to keep your mind in perfect peace? Even when you're going through hell on earth, what seems like an impossible time, turn your eyes towards Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the hope. Keep your eyes on the hope of expectation of, of coming good. It, I know it may look miserable. It may seem impossible to you, but I promise you, if you'll keep your eyes glued on Jesus, all these other things that seem like they're so important will start to dissolve. And I, I, I asked Kentley to help me tonight because it reminds me of that, that old song, you know, turn your eyes on Jesus. Amen. I love that song. Will you, will you just sing that with me? This is just kind of running in my heart. Come on. If you know it, come on, sing it. 